0: Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of Data Protection Gumbo. All right, welcome back to Data Protection Gumbo. I'm your host, Demetrius Milebro, and on this episode, we have an alumni, someone who has been on the podcast, uh, I think maybe two or three times. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, but I do have the pleasure of speaking with the CEO, Chief Executive Officer of Tape Arc, and his name is Guy Holmes. Guy, welcome to the gumbo. How are you? Uh, I'm awesome.
1: Thanks for having me again.
0: Appreciate it. All right. And just a, a little detail about Guy. He is, as I mentioned, the CEO of Tape Arc, and he spent about 20 years working in the tape and data storage industry. Also, in the last five years, he founded Tape Arc, where he has been a maverick for change, challenging the status quo to migrate legacy data to the cloud. So that cloud-enabled technologies can be applied to foster actionable innovation and drive commercial breakthroughs. So Guy is a strong advocate for data liberation and the role that historical data will play in making profound discoveries in the future. So I am excited for this conversation. Guy, once again, welcome to the show and What's new these days before we, we actually get started? Because it has been a while. And just, just bring us up to speed with uh, kind of what you have been up to over the last, let's say, what, six months or so?
1: Well, the company which we founded uh, five years ago has now grown pretty substantially. I'm based in Australia, but we've now opened up Montreal, Dallas, London, Brisbane, and Delhi in India. We're continuing expand. There's, uh, you know, the reasons for, for why we exist are, are uh, getting even better as time goes on, as new technologies hit the cloud uh, platform that we're putting data into. It just enables and unlocks, you know, so many new insights that people couldn't possibly have gotten without, um, without the cloud in place. So been a very exciting uh, four years, really, um, and uh, still jump out of bed, excited to get to work.
0: Well nice that that's a nice t-shirt. Well, it's not a t-shirt, but it's a it's a logo shirt there. It looks like good quality to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh so you you must be doing something right then. Um but uh as far as so I guess your your mission the the way I see it and the, the reason why I, I I think I sought you out, I found you several years ago. I thought it was compelling because we all heard the that tape is dead; it's going away, and we keep we still keep hearing that, right? And we keeps we keep hearing stories about tape. Some are good, some are bad, but yet tape is still here and it's growing. So, what are some of the, I guess, key industry challenges that Tape Arc has developed solutions to solve, lately?
1: Well. Um... You know, recently, probably in the last six months, I've gotten into a couple of little online uh, uh, tit for tats between tape uh, tape lovers and and tape haters. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a tape hater, um, and I and I still believe that tape has a has a place for sure in in our technology stack. So I have no problem with today's tape. What I have a problem with is is yesterday's tape. You've created it, you put it on a shelf, um, and uh, how long can you keep that for? What do you have to do to maintain the hardware to access it? Um, so my issue lies around um, what I'll call the largest collection of data in the world, which is all of the data recorded from uh, the 1960s until the cloud existed is largely sitting on tape. And you know how do we get to that? So how do we get into that data? How do we use that data for something good? If we had, um, you know, every measurement of a particular type of cancer cell recorded on tape over the last forty years, that's a machine learning uh, data set that would love to be able to view that historical data set over time, right? So I'm super keen to find those pockets of data to get them out there into um, out there into the universe so people can access them.
0: Okay, and what well, what's some of the most interesting thing that you have seen when it concerns tape? And I'm sure you have been delivered maybe boxes with hundreds or, I don't know, maybe even thousands of tapes, right? I'm sure you have seen some crazy things in the crates or the boxes along with the tapes. And <laughs> I'm sure you have some stories. You've seen some things. You you, you care to share maybe, maybe one interesting story of um, maybe something that you have seen, just uncovering or unwrapping or just dealing with physical tape.
1: Probably the largest job that we've done in the last two years was a collection of about 87,000 tapes. The, the customer originally said they had 32,000 tapes. And then by the time they were all delivered and um, all the boxes were opened, it was, it was almost three times that number. And the technology, there were 38 different types of tape in there from every vintage uh, the customer has an infinite retention policy, so they have to keep everything forever. <laughs> wow! And I know, yeah. So, um, so not only did we see just about every type of media going back to reel to reels from the from the from the 1970s, um, but we also found that um, the boxes that the tapes were in were deteriorating. Mm-hmm.
0: So I bet. Um, and. The material from the boxes
1: deteriorating was getting into the tapes, which was then uh, causing the tapes difficulty when they're attempted to be read. So um, so there's a you know, if you if you looked around your home, could you find a single 40 year old appliance in your house that you still use every day? Um, You might have something. I'm not sure, but probably not. Most people don't. Um, and yet this is the corporate data set for a very, very large uh, multinational company um, where even if they wanted to restore it, they couldn't. So, you know, lots lots of skeletons, but it's all really valuable data. So, you know, that um, people will look at it and go, it's that old who, who needs it. On the flip side, I'll say some of it was aircraft flight data and looking at the magnetic um, fields um, from about a thousand meters above the Earth's surface. And that information is used to look for gold deposits and the technology for detecting gold deposits in the last 40 years has gone, you know, it's 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 insanely good now. However, this data has never seen that technology. And uh, maybe there's a major gold deposit this company hadn't even looked at because they their old technology didn't detect it. So I, I still believe these things have, you know, really awesome value. It's just a matter of being a little bit creative about what you want
0: to do with it. Yeah, and if if you had a, since you are not a tape hater, <laughs> do, do you have a favorite tape technology? Like, is it LTO, or is it DLT, or what is it, Magstar 35, whatever? I don't know. I can't remember. It's been several years. Yeah.
1: Well, um, to be honest, uh, IBM made... A series of technologies starting with the 3480, and then it became a 3590, and then a 3592. That media type is used really heavily in the oil and gas sector. Okay. Yeah. They're the large. And those tapes are flown out onto ships. The data is recorded on ships, it's flown back in a helicopter, they're bounced around, and they are extremely reliable. Now they're obviously not not the cheapest technology on the planet for storing data, but we very rarely have a problem reading any of the IBM thirty five XX types media types. They're just they're just always in good shape. LTO probably follows close second, and then it kind of drops off a bit of a cliff after that. There's so many different attempts at making new technology, increasing the number of tracks on a single tape, to the point you know. So um, so yeah, I, I'd say. IBM 35XX is probably probably my sweet spot for uh, uh,
0: for knowing that we're going to be able to read that data easily. And do, do you still run across the 3494? The where you can add the different frames and extensions. I mean, those things could get really long. Like <laughs> yeah. I, th- I was working with one, and I think that thing was like a mile long. It was like sixteen frames and eight robots and i mean it was it was pretty it was pretty complex
1: <laughs> see them every day um
0: oh, wow. uh, okay. ma-
1: mainly because if i walk into my data center i've actually got one or two sitting here you got in, one in or two, yeah. um but we get we do get a lot of calls for people who want to get rid of them but they don't really know how to get rid of that two tons of mm-hmm. steel um it's a pretty pretty robust pieces of equipment um but extremely reliable, uh, and um, as you know, I guess you were feeding those with tapes for many years as a as a backup guy, probably somewhere down in the basement of yes. the center. Yes, and um, uh, you know they're they're very robust pieces of tech, but we see them all the time.
0: You vaguely mentioned this that the retention is increasing, the capacity and density, and I think you can do compression and three to one and two to one and all these different types of things. And tapes have like leaps and bounds around containing holding more data they're getting faster uh, i've read some fancy things about tape that you could do some type of uh, fancy almost immutability or something or worm technology and some ransomware type things and libraries are getting fancy where you can prevent like the physical robot from from being accessed and i don't know it's there's some advancements but <laughs> what I'm getting at is that when you have that that data let's say legacy data sitting on a tape right and the corp- corporation of the company has identified that we want to we want to migrate this data from this technology because it's been around for a while we want to have it on media and we want to be able to access it pretty quickly right to increase our recovery time objective so how does a company begin to think about developing a plan to maintain the access of that data, especially when you're talking like these extreme data retention periods. And I'm not talking infinite, but I'm just saying, you know, let's say 10 years, right? Because some financial institutions have to keep data for seven to 10 years and maybe oil and gas, too. I'm not quite sure.
1: Look, They're all a bit different depending on which country they're in. And we're dealing in in many different countries. So the retention periods can vary depending on the government legislation and the the needs of the particular company. In the particular place where i live right now in in western australia uh in the medical side you have to keep uh, the records for a patient for 15 years minimum as long as the patient is 25 years or older so if you bring in a one-year-old you have to keep that data for 40 years now um, which is which is fine. You can say, yes, I've got it. Here's the tape. But as I said, you're not going to find a 40 year old tape drive sitting in the back shed that you can fire up and actually read that content, let alone have the software that created it or the connectivity to the device has gone from SCSI single ended all the way through now to fiber and SAS and even the connectivity and the cards to interface those drives don't exist anymore. So it's not just a, it's not just a no tape drive. It's actually, you know, no host, no connectivity, no, you know, no, nothing. Um, So when you have something like, like 40 years, and you think about the evolution of technology um, at a bank, and every five to 10 years, there's a new backup technology that comes onto the market, and the bank goes, I'd really like to, I'd really like to adopt that. Um, That looks, that looks great. And um, I think they're faced with a challenge. Do we keep all of our old technology uh, so that we can still restore that content with the old software, um, and then buy the new technology and start a whole new archive data set with that. And then you end up maintaining two sets of legacy infrastructure, um, maintenance on two pieces of hardware, software licensing on two sets only because you just want to move away from your old one. So how do you bridge that gap? And there's a lot of corporates who want to move, say, from Commvault to NetBackup or NetBackup to Commvault. Um, and they're faced with the choice of having to manage both platforms. So what we did was we built a way for customers to get rid of that legacy infrastructure so that they can move forward uh, with their technology stack and still allow them to get access to their, to their historical content, really, no matter what platform it was written on. And I think that's probably where we're seeing the most growth is... Our SaaS platform now uh, allows you to just go, I don't want to use this software anymore, but I do need to maintain access to the content. Please take it for me and do something with it. So we move that into the cloud and therefore it becomes um, not an issue of having to migrate tapes anymore in the future, not an issue of uh, uh, maintaining any of the connectivity. And we just virtualize and snap freeze the whole system into a, a system that can still avail itself of immutability and still avail itself of air gap, but at the same time provides them with effectively an evergreen solution that they never have to worry about maintaining anymore, which uh, you know, gives them great flexibility.
0: Yeah, that that's pretty cool. And are, is your SaaS platform, is that on multiple public clouds? Yes. It doesn't, it runs on all of them. Um, So, uh, yeah, so you're you're in different public clouds and I'm sure that's a requirement because you you run across all different types of customers and they, it's hybrid, right? Everyone has a little bit of AWS and some Microsoft Azure and I'm sure they have a little GCP as well. But what what type of uh, like setup do you have? Is uh, like your architecture you have? I guess some redundant regions and zones and you, you have to deal with, you mentioned earlier that data is in different countries. So I'm sure you have some data sovereignty and, you know, you're dealing with GDPR. I don't know. Tell me, tell tell me what you're dealing with just overall from your SaaS platform and how you went about architecting it and just whatever you can share would be, would be pretty cool to hear.
1: Well, we'll take a, a, a typical customer that's in the cloud. Um, kind of time frame where say four years ago they decided they could now back up their data to the cloud. Uh, prior, prior to that it was all going to tape. So once they start to move that content from oh, sorry pivot to backing up directly to the cloud, they create a new problem. They now have an on-prem tape collection with the last eight years of data and they have a cloud one with last month's data on it. How do they how do they marry up the last seven years into the cloud. So they have one restore point instead of now having two. They've got one in the cloud, one on the prem, they got to maintain tapes, they have a data center, which they're busily trying to get, you know, move things into the cloud and virtualize. And they end up at this last rack at the back of the data center is the tape rack with the tape silo you mentioned earlier. And they're like, what are we going to do with this? So our solution brings them a way to virtualize the entire tape stack. We have a mass ingest facility that ingests those tapes um, in the thousands or tens of thousands, um, places them into effectively one of those large robots in the sky, uh, in the cloud, and connects, connects their backup software to that. And then they can point at that tape library instead of it being on-prem and running along looking for a tape in a slot. It actually looks in the cloud and says, ah, there's tape number six. I'll load that into a virtual tape drive and I'll, I'll read that tape. So, we, we built um, two components. We're probably an unusual SaaS cu- uh, uh, company because we have a, a manual labor component up front to move a customer's data in. And then we have the management portal which forms the SaaS uh, portion of the, um, of the product. So we're probably a little hybrid. Um, the architecture was initially built on AWS and because of the way AWS is architected, with their availability zones, uh, they have three availability zones in each region. So when you put when you put data into uh, a region, it automatically gets replicated. So you get the D, you get the DR for that, um, which is which is great, and it comes in the price tag. So it's just part of the purchase of the AWS consumption. We then architected a way to virtualize your backup software and connect it back up to this large virtual tape robot in the sky, and that sits um, inside our DMZ. And then when a customer logs into our portal, they can search for a file, click on it, and we will trigger all the transactions that get that tape library to do its job, even though it's not really a physical tape library, it's just a virtual one reacting to the same kind of messaging. And you know we have a range of customers who want the data in their account. Let's say health data, the hospital wants it inside their secure zone. So we've architected around that so that we can still access that content from our side, um, but they can preserve access to their content and have it all within their own um, demarcation zone so they don't you know, have any security breaches. Um, so the architecture, when you look at it, is probably quite simple. It's It's really not that complicated. Uh, until you get into some of the other styles of projects that we do, like the one we're doing in the UK for the uh, weather service. So we're moving, that one's going to be about 450 petabytes of tape. So it's a massive collection, almost half an exabyte. And that's, um, it. it's uh, tens or hundreds of billions of individual files. Each one is part of a science project and each one needs to be available to the supercomputer to do its job that one the architecture is is completely different it's not a sas program it's actually more of a science project to move basically the world's collection of weather into a location where predictions can be made using see this is the first time in history where a customer can have all of their content in one place it's just never been possible before with the cloud being so scalable you can move as much as you want into there which then opens up these machine learning and ai routines to be able to use a new corpus for all kinds of
0: you know awesome uses. And days. you said supercomputer is that like a quantum computer or something uh, <laughs> that, that, that's yeah. what i thought but I, I guess it has to be so powerful that it could actually run whatever algorithms that it needs to to do in order to create that that crunch the data for that science project that you're talking about yeah
1: this particular one is a cray uh a supercomputer okay and it's been put. Got it's it. actually inside of azure so you can uh use you move all your data up there and then your supercomputer resources are handled by azure rather than you buying a multi-million dollar supercomputer and uh so to bridge that gap to go from a building of compute and tape drives and uh, the robotic silos in that particular project are something like 60 meters in length, so almost a football field uh, long of tape uh, apparatus. Um, That will all be gone and it will all be looked at through a portal in Azure and there'll be no more hardware and uh, no more need for the data center. Um, So it's a a huge transition and we're starting to see several supercomputer sites now starting to make the, the leap from needing to have that on-prem hardware to um, being able to avail themselves of the scalability that they can get in the
0: cloud. Yeah, and so I I, I just read something about real estate for data centers is it's a good business because <laughs> they are um, so you have AI, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. I mean, they are starting in these what GPUs, these super super huge computational graphics processing units and you have NVIDIA out there. You have all these different companies creating these chips and AI is very hungry. So it needs a location to continue to spin up more and more and more and more systems. And I was also watching something with Elon Musk on it and I read something else about, I mean, it's just, it's really phenomenal. And if you think about where we are right now and just this place in the world right now where we are in history with AI and sitting on the precipice of all these different regulations. And th- did you see the, the white house, uh, rolled out the safe, trustworthy, secure executive order or something? And there's been a lot going on. I, I can't even keep up anymore. So,
1: uh, <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm all the way down here in Australia, but yes, I do. I do follow us politics and I did see that they rolled that out and they're going to, you know, they're going to need it. Um, the beast, is, the beast is getting bigger uh, and we're, we're feeding it with a lot of data and therefore it needs more processors and then when it gets more processors it needs more data and it's sort of a, ne- a never-ending loop.
0: Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure you, you're, you're using some type of AI and, and email to maybe make your processes more efficient or wh- wh- where are you seeing AI, artificial intelligence uh, within the tape industry?
1: Well, certainly a lot of it is being used on the content we create. So we recently liberated uh, 40 petabytes of of cartoons, and uh, those will end up in a streaming service. Um, AI would be put through that to identify all of the characters in each cartoon, the script that was read, all the words turned into text, so you could search for a particular cartoon character saying a particular word in a particular scene with another character present. and uh so there you know and uh all of the motion pictures we've moved we've probably moved over 100 petabytes of movies um or for the streaming services to go from on-prem tape production facilities to cloud streaming services and ai is used a ton in there so we did we did the nfl wow uh, okay uh, 14 petabytes of nfl footage and they 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 wanted to be able to identify players through their face mask. They wanted to be able to identify home and away jerseys, which players' numbers were which, um, who was on the field at what time, how long they were there, how long a throw was um, on historical footage where those tools just didn't exist. And, um, you know, they're getting to the point now where they can basically put two different football teams on the field made up of players from the past and present and have an actual game that actually looks reasonably realistic um, so that we can put all the, the, the greats of NFL against each other over the past 50 years and, and see who wins. Yeah. So um, we use AI and ML internally a lot for our ingest process. Um, every tape that we receive, we take a photograph of and we use AI to auto identify the tape, its capacity uh, it's barcode. It reads the barcode off the tape using um, optical character recognition. So we, we use it internally. But where I get excited is when we're using it on the content we've actually liberated, because I think that's where the excitement is actually going to be. Um.
0: What, what happens to the tape once you do? You have some customers that say just trash it or de- degauze mm-hmm. it or destroy it or whatever, or just hang on to it?
1: Yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a combination. Um, I've started a project to um, try and turn those tapes into footwear shoes. So and uh, so we, we're calling them digits because they obviously contain digits, but they're for your toes. <laughs> and um, yeah. uh,
0: it's like Crocs almost, yeah. But they're and, bits,
1: you know. If if you worked at <laughs> uh, at a at a movie uh, studio. And we made those into shoes and your shoe was the matrix tape that had the matrix on it. Um, We could put a little QR code on the bottom and you could scan it and it would show you the clips that were on your shoe before it became a shoe and actually make it a bit of a collector's piece and also save the environment. Because the one thing about tape is it's not an environmentally friendly uh, recording medium. It's Mm. a lot of plastic and a lot of chemicals. So um, yeah, so we're, we're looking Mm -hmm. at, at ways to try and, reuse those into um, you know into other things um, and shoes uh, okay. we also had made some into poles for vineyards to grow their vines on um, because the uh, the termites won't eat the the plastic and they're very robust um,
0: and that doesn't do anything to the soil
1: no no uh, hmm. they're they're kind of chemicals are okay. reached out and all the plastic is extruded into pipes uh, large you know uh, six inch thick uh
0: Polls, polls basically, yeah. And I, I find myself just uh, kind of daydreaming, and as as you're explaining these stories, because when, when when you talk about tape, you really don't think about the type of data that's on that tape. What's the story? Like you mentioned some really interesting things. You mentioned some things about cancer and and healthcare and identifying <laughs> this thing, and and it's just some fascinating stories behind liberating. The data that's on the tape which you mentioned, I also thought about maybe calling you the the Wizard of tape, which favors the Wizard of Oz because kind of behind the curtain <laughs> and yeah. and, uh, and and you're you're liberating these tapes and you're you're uh, freeing the tape into the the great big digital ocean of uh, of cloud and plus we're thinking that. And me, myself, I don't really have conversations about tape anymore because it's just all cloud this and cloud that and and now it's ransomware, right? So we can talk about (laughs) cybersecurity and ransomware and breaches all day long because they're headlines every day. And uh, I, I may have to get you back on because I, I really want to keep going, but I, I know we are getting close. But I, I did want to ask you about the uh, NASA Apollo mission tapes. There's a story around that, and, and can you share any any information around that, or maybe even just your your favorite project around tape?
1: Well, I guess a good time to clarify, as I said, I'm not a tape hater. I'm just a lover of data. So. Uh, you know, my goal is my goal is not to clobber tape, but to but rather to get the data in an accessible place. And what we're seeing is, um, you know, the work we did uh, uh, on the Apollo missions was data recorded on the lunar surface by a very small device that was attached to a piece of um, to a basically a square box that was set up on the moon. Um, inside that box, there was a seismometer to detect lunar earthquakes. There was some solar things to detect what was going on with the sun, Um, temperature gauges, a whole range of things. And this one particular thing um, that was on the box measured, um, what was going on with dust on the surface of the moon. Um, And um, it was a one of a kind instrument. It was sent up on uh, four or five missions. And the data was recorded to a seven track tape, which was obviously from the 60s and the drives don't exist. Um, But the data in terms of colonizing other planets and the behavior of dust in um, in environments like the moon, where the atmosphere is non-existent. um, You know, we made some pretty interesting discoveries about how dust is electrostatically charged when the sun rises. And it starts to elevate on the lunar surface. It elevates a little bit above the ground. And then when an astronaut walks by, it actually sticks to his gear and gets into his breathing apparatus and all of the equipment that he has on. And and if you read about the Apollo astronauts, a lot of them will tell you that the number one hazard on the lunar surface was actually the dust. It was getting into everything, was breaking equipment. And uh, so these tapes are extremely valuable for trips to Mars. Um, what's going to happen there? And that data would have been lost forever without the without you know us doing some recovery work and then placing it into AWS where they could write some machine learning to actually look at the behavior and pair it with sunrise and sunset on the moon, which is different, sunrise and sunset on Earth, and work out what the behavior was. Um, that required far more computation. Um, than was available back when they originally recorded this data. So there's a lot to be learned from these data sets. Once you, once you give them a shot, you just need to be able to get
0: back. Wow. I'm I'm just fascinated by these stories. And I, I forgot that we're talking tape and, <laughs> and, and data. It's just like, I want to hear more about the stories because you, you typically tend to think, yeah, I just need to protect this data. I need to back it up. I need to migrate it. I need, I need to move it. But there's an actual real story behind it, like real lives. And I mean, the, the data is is uh, revealing things that uh, are <laughs> super fascinating and maybe tied to humanity and kind of helping us break, break free and break through to some new discoveries. And it's just, um, to me, really promising. And I, I really appreciate you founding the company and continuing to to uh to run the company and to to grow and just i remember when you first started almost you know knee high to uh <laughs> to a kangaroo right <laughs> yeah but uh and the company was really young too right like how how old was the company when when you first came on the podcast oh uh, probably like two was, years
1: maybe year and a half it was pretty young
0: and, okay um, okay uh
1: you know, I could see what we wanted to do, but it was very hard to convince people. It was a lot of education for the first few years, educating the market that this is a real thing and this is useful. And um, if I was just in backup and recovery and that was all I was doing for a living, I I, I wouldn't be on your podcast. I probably wouldn't be in this company. I do it for the, for the love of the data. And whenever I get a new project, I immediately go, what can we do with this data? How do we intersect that with weather or car accidents or, you know, how do we, how do we work it out? And, um, that, you know, that's what, that's what gets me excited.
0: Yeah. Autonomous vehicles. That's a lot of data and that's, it's getting more and more, uh, IOT sensors and wow. It's, it's super fascinating what's, what's happening right now. It's a little scary too. And Elon Musk was talking, what if there's a, so there's going to be the first time that something will be smarter than us because if you look at the the whole ecosystem with animals and the animal kingdom right they were not smarter than us they're stronger than us but this actually has the capability to to outsmart us and to kind of do its own thing right but We don't want to end on a on a bad note. Dude
1: (laughs) dude, I've been uh, I've been living a life where everyone around me is smarter than me, so I'm I'm not fucked by whatever (laughs) easily.
0: You must live in a house full of women. (laughs) (laughs) I do, so I I, I tend to tell that joke all the time. They 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 always they're always telling me what to do, what not to do, and when I need to do it, so (laughs) and they're usually right. Yeah, they're usually right. So uh, w- once again, I, I really do appreciate you being being a guest on the podcast and I, I will definitely have to get you back. It's been way too long to have this conversation with you. Uh, hats off to you and the progress that you have made with the company. And you're, you're not just liberating tapes. You're, you're doing more than that. I, I see you're doing a big, a big work. And um, any um, plug that you would like to leave maybe? The website to the company, or any any information that you want to leave the Gumbo listeners.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, we're on uh, you know tapeark.com. Um, we're available. or You can purchase our services through both Microsoft and Azure marketplaces. Um, and uh, you know, if you're stuck with a bunch of legacy tape infrastructure and you're not sure how to how to do something about it, then we've got the solution that, that will clean that up for you appreciate you having
0: me, Dimitri. Absolutely. And uh, thank you once again. And before I let you go, Gumbo listeners, uh, be sure if you are not already familiar with backup and recovery professionals on LinkedIn, uh, it's a group that I created, I think back in 2008. So there's about 20 plus thousand uh, cybersecurity storage backup recovery industry experts. They're having conversations similar to the ones that we're having here on the podcast. So... Be sure to join the group and also Gumbo listeners. We will see you all on the next episode and thanks once again for tuning in today.